we're dealing with two specific situations. And we shared heavily on the shrewd accountant that although he was unfaithful in terms of being a thief, yet admired for how shrewd he was. And somehow or other, that admiration has taken a twist with time. In other words, some people say we've got to be as slick as the world is in their dealings. And then people apply to that saying, the scripture where Jesus says we're supposed to be as gentle as doves, but as what? And, uh, well, uh, as... Uh, <laughs> as wise, as serpents. I, I, I'm trying to get this out so I don't get myself confused. What the Lord is simply telling us is that Christianity is not a prize in being a dodo, okay? And there will be times when we must be sharp on top of it, knowledgeable, knowing what we're doing and how we're doing it. In other words, if that is the characteristic of the snake, well, there are times that we have to be that sharp, okay? But naturally, not with the cunning, the, the guile, and the wickedness, and the negativity of that action, and then we have to be as gentle as doves. And uh, this, is, this, is in, this is the way they apply it. But the application is wrong in that sense. It's wrong in terms that we are called to be honest in everything we do. In everything we do. You say, Sister Amy, there are times that if you're honest, you won't get the breaks. Well, then I have to say that the breaks aren't worth it. Because if anything puts you in bondage, if anything puts you in spiritual chains, that simply means that whatever you're doing materially is not going to add up to all the things you need or want. In other words, you're not going to get the joy out of it. You're not going to get the benefit out of it. And worse yet, you're not going to get God's smile on your life. And I'm going to tell you something. Whether it be basketball with Reuben, whether it be uh, uh, working in, in a very echelon position as some of you do, whether it be co-working with a, a whole a slew of workers it may, or maybe work, working a work of service to someone or to some uh, company. The most important thing, folks, is not how much bread you bring home. It's not how high you climb and how fast you climb. It's how well you do it that it please the Lord. Always ask yourself that question. Will this please the Lord? Am I doing this right? And you say, you know, you know sister, if I ask that question, I'm not, I'm not really going to make it in this life. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really going to get tied up. It's, it's not going to work out. Okay. Well, then I've got to take you to the next parable. And I've got to take you there real quickly. Because it, the first parable tells us about the shrewd guy. It tells us about everything he did and how admired he was. But the end of this chapter simply says that, first of all, he did lose the job. So no matter what he got, he still lost what he had. Okay, and then on what he was trusting, that his connivings would bring him in good stead with others. But you and I know that you wouldn't hire him, would you? He told you to knock off 80 barrels. 
He told you to knock off 50 barrels of wheat or oil or whatever it was. Then he's going to come to your house and ask you for a job? No, you, you, don't, you don't want that kind of person. You don't want that kind of person. But you see, folks, when we get raveled up, when we start, it's, it's, it's like a chain. It, it's like you grab a hold of something and you don't realize that from then on the entrapment is greater and greater and greater and greater. And when you come, the chains are around your neck and you don't even know how it started. It just started with a slip. It just started with a little incident. It just started with a maybe that you knew was a no. Then when you open your eyes, who can save you? Who can save us? So one of the lessons of Christianity is to learn to be good stewards. What does it mean? It means management of your life. Management of your life. That's all. Good stewards are those that know how to manage. The two examples of the best stewards in the Bible, and I know this is a repeat, one is Joseph, and the other one is Eliezer. And if you don't know who Eliezer is, I'll, I'll familiarize you with him. He was the servant, the very best servant uh, that uh, uh, Abraham ever had. Matter of fact, it was this servant that was mentioned in Abraham's prayer. When God told him, I'm going to make you a family that uh, it's like the stars of the heaven, like the sands of the sea. I'm going to give you a family just that big and just that important. And then Abraham listens to God and he says, well, wait a minute. You're going to give me such a, a big family. You're going to do so much. He says, I don't even have a son. I don't even have someone to inherit my lot right now. All the nice things I have, I don't have. Matter of fact, Elias is going to inherit it all. That's the only one I have. He's a servant. He's my man's servant. Later on, when God does bless Abraham with a son, matter of fact, God blessed Abraham with two sons. The only one is that the only sad thing is that the first son was a man-made blessing. It wasn't the blessing from on high. There are man-made blessings. There are things which, with which we bless ourselves. There are situations that we solve with our own mechanism, with our own mentality. And it gets to be the worst thing in the world. And how was that done? You say, well, what, what happened there? Well, you know, when Sarah decided that uh, Abraham kept talking to her about having a son and having a son and having a son. And she had two problems. Two problems. First, that she had been in her life barren. That's one big problem. And now she was an old lady. That's another problem. So between the two problems, she had no solution. So she says, okay, I'll make him happy. Sometimes we take upon ourselves to make people happy. We take upon ourselves to play God. You say, Sister Amy, I've never played God. Yes, you have. The thing is, we don't know we play God. We don't know we play God. We think we're doing something nice. We think we're doing something good. We think we're helping people. We think we're putting their, their, their lives together. We think we're, you know, working it out for them. Uh, we think we're being, uh, oh, if it's a romance, we think we're being Cupid. And if it's something else, we think we're being somebody else. Uh, if, if it's a financial problem, well, we think we're, we're the money bags that's going to solve the situation in a minute. And we, we get very much involved. You say, well, well, sometimes it's just out of the goodness of our heart, but we're not necessarily playing God. No, no, we play God. Because there are things that only God can solve because he knows how to solve them. 
It's the same thing with our administration and our stewardship with our children. We create the monsters. They weren't born that way. We do it. And you know what we call the process? Love. We call the process love. We call the process caring. Never teach them to be on their own. Never teach them to watch out for their own. Never teach them the value of money. Never teach them the value of, uh, of, of, of people, of things, of family. Of, uh, never teach them the value of nurturing. Never. We're just there. Open arms. Open face. Open pocketbook. And whatever they want. Shoo! 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 You say, well, I've never had much to give. No, no, but listen, you can do with your nickels what others do with their millions. But it's the same act. And then you get a 17, 18, a 19-year-old, and all of a sudden they don't care. Hey, ma. Hey, pa. Hey, mama. And sometimes you're not in the same position. You don't have what you had last week. But you see, they don't know that. You supplied last week. You got to supply this week. Where is it? Okay. We play God. But every now and then we lose our resources. We can't come through. Then what are we? I can't give you the names. Okay? But it's our fault. It's our fault. It's our way of stewardship. It's our intent that these precious creatures get everything. You know, after World War II, maybe the greatest error that seized the minds of men, and it has throughout the ages. I, I say World War II simply because then we had the baby boom, and then we had the house boom, and then we had levy towns all over the world, and then we had everything booming and bursting and going out and, and doing, but uh, it was then that we came back, uh, uh, maybe a little rifled from a couple of wars on either sides of the ocean, and we decided that our kids were going to have what we never had. <laughs> Number one mistake. Once again, we're talking stewardship. I know it sounds that we ramble off into many areas, but that's the way stewardship is. Stewardship has to do with management of our lives and management of those that are under us and management of the things that God gives us. And that management has to do not only with the monies, but it has to do with the controls in terms of what we do and who we are and how we manage those around us. And there comes a moment where we sometimes have to say, I did not do such a good job. There are times you can be very proud, and there are other times you just look up and say, I wonder what happened. You wonder what happened. I wonder too. Now getting back to the shrewd accountants, there's two things we see in them. In this first shrewd accountant is just simply a man that thought he could fix it all up no matter how much wrong he did. And sometimes we feel that way. We can fix it up. But the end of this whole thing is that Jesus teaches us that we must be faithful. And what does he say? He simply says the following, and Jesus' analysis of this, for unless you are honest in small matters, unless you are honest in small matters, you won't be in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you're, this is the 11th verse of the 16th chapter, and if you are untrustworthy, about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? There are so many things God wants to give us, even in the realms of spiritual blessings, even in the realms of spiritual knowledge. 
But Jesus said, if you can't handle what little knowledge you have here, if you can't handle and balance off and manage uh, the natural knowledge that has been given and that we have, how on earth will we be able to handle spiritual knowledge? Because that is of another category, of course, but still, as far as management concerned, it goes the same way. If you aren't trustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's money, why should you be entrusted with money of your own? Okay? If you can't be trusted with other people's money, why on earth do you think you should be given or blessed with money to take care of? You haven't proven in any way to be able to do it with others. You will not do it if it were your own. And it goes on. For neither you nor anyone else can serve two masters. Folks, it's very difficult to narrow stewardship down to this verse. But somehow it has to be. I'm not going to narrow it down to the verse. I'm just going to pick up the reflections of the verse. For neither you nor anyone else can serve two masters. You'll hate one and show loyalty to another, or else the other way around. You'll be enthusiastic about one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now this is interesting. And I have to say what I've said many times, and you've heard me. Because sometimes when we talk about money, you say, but Sister Amy, we're not rich. So you can't talk to us about money. But you see, money is money. Whether it's a quarter or whether it's a quarter of a million. Money is money. We're not talking about uh, uh, quantities. We are talking about mentality. We are talking about attitude. We are talking about how is it fixed up here. There are people that when they're poor, they're delightful. When they're poor, they're, 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 they're precious. When they're poor, they're so easy to handle. Have you ever seen a poor person get rich? Have you ever seen it? Have you, has it happened? It's a sad experience. Because money has a way of, 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 of giving us a sense that we never had before. It makes us feel that the world is wanting to take it away from us. We become extremely cautious and all of a sudden we see friends for what they can get out of us instead of seeing friends for who we are. For neither you nor anyone else can serve two masters. You know, I'm thinking now why Jesus spent the majority of his time, three quarters of the teaching time of Jesus in the scripture has to do with things. Why? Because he knew that that was our greatest and would be our greatest entrapment. And it is. Things are our greatest entrapment. We strive for things more than we strive for God. Have you ever started to save money for this project or that project? Have you ever realized how diligent you are in your projects? Have you ever realized how much effort you put into your projects? Yet do we do the same thing for our spiritual life? Do we put that type of effort into it? 
Do we put that type of effort into our Bible reading, into our prayer time, into our quiet time? Have we started or even scratched the surface of giving God time? You know what? If God were first in our lives, we'd have nothing to worry about stewardship. We wouldn't even have to teach it. Would you believe that? Because not only that he is first, but that his spirit is guiding our lives. And his spirit would show us and teach us. And that's what the book of John, 1 John, tells us. It simply says, you have the spirit of God within you and you need no one to teach you. People trip over that scripture and fanatics say, no, we're filled with the spirit. Nobody has to come here and tell us what to do. No, no, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. It simply means that if you are giving God first place in your life, the Holy Spirit will then guide your life. And he will tell you what, when, and where, and how. And how does he tell you? First by the established form, which is the word. And then by the intuitive form in which God knocks at your door and tells you who to help. Yeah, there are times that God will tell you. You know, we're learning a lot in New Beginnings. We sit in a circle and we have drugs, drug, drug addicts come in and we have alcoholics come in and we have street people come in and we have bums come in and we have uh, homeless come in and we have everybody come in. And they sit around. And they're very honest. One gentleman told us last Wednesday he didn't want the word. He wanted money for soup and a token to get back to his homeless shelter. Well, the gentlemen were good. They gave him the token and they gave him the money for the soup. He came Thursday night. I gave him neither. He says, Sister Amy, you're so cruel. No, I'm not cruel. I'm not cruel. That's not what we're here for. He said, well, wait a minute. Doesn't this scripture? Go, go fight it out with me. I don't care how you do it. Yeah. Because it's, very, it's easy for you folks that maybe hit this once a week or maybe less than that. And for we that hit it every single day here. And what am I, what am I saying? Am I saying, oh, you've got to close your bowels of mercy and not give? No, 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 no. Listen, the first commodity the church has for the world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. You say, oh, but it's hard to preach the gospel on an empty belly. Folks, oh, I have, I've heard all the answers, so don't, you don't have to worry about me. I've got books and books and books and books and, and conferences and conferences on this. I love Jesus. Because Jesus teaches us a few secrets that are very beautiful. Jesus says to us, the poor you'll always have with you. What does he mean by that? He means that as far as bowels of mercy, a Christian should always have bowels of mercy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Should always have bowels of mercy. In other words, but you and I know that we could not take on the world. Well, HRS and, 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 and all the other agencies we have can't take on the power and the need and the stress of New York City, much less you and I are going to take it on. But I still believe that God does touch, and I still believe that God does give a special direction. And I still believe that even if you can't solve the problems of everybody, there will be a special case and a special situation which God will bring to you, and you will know by the Holy Spirit that that's your chance to operate. And God will tell you just what to do and how to do it. And sometimes it's the most unexpected situations. A lost wallet. A situation of something. Where you meet up the strangest people in the world and God will give you an opportunity 
to teach and to tell. But once again, the church's main job is to preach the gospel. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm not trying to be cold or callous. Let me tell you what the gospel does. The gospel is so powerful that it makes the person the person he should be and the person God intended him to be. When the gospel arrives and when the gospel is accepted, and when I say the gospel, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God. He's the one that straightens people out. He's the one that straightens hearts out. He's the one that straightens lives out. You say, yeah, uh, uh, but, but sometimes we have to go via the need. Yes, sometimes you can. And, and once again, I have to refer to the scripture that I preached on about two and a half years ago. He's the Lord of the harvest. And because he's the Lord of the harvest, he gives unto people ministries. And we have to honor and accept those ministries and thank God for them. I thank God for the Salvation Army. I thank God for the Bowery Mission. I thank God for Love Gospel Soup Kitchen. I thank God for a lot of things that have happened. I thank God for people that are touched to do those things. And he is the Lord of the harvest. Now he doesn't send down a, a, a specific form. He doesn't tell us to all set it up. He doesn't tell us to all do it. But whoever is called to do it will do it and do it with God's grace. But the first job will still be the proclamation of the gospel. Because that is the first, foremost, and the most important work the church has to do. That's what will change unfaithful stewards into faithful stewards. That's what will make us work for our bosses the way we should. That's what will make us put in eight hours of work like God intended for us to do. Then we'll understand the scriptures uh, of the Apostle Paul when he writes uh, to Onesimus uh, in the book of Philemon. Uh, and he tells him, uh, uh, Onesimus is a slave that has believed uh, in the gospel through me. And because of his acceptance of the gospel, he now turns himself back to you, oh, uh, uh, Onesimus. Am I the names? Philemon. Who's the slave? Onesimus. I'm sorry. Got it all confused. But you, you understand. But the book is Philemon. And, uh, and, and then he goes on, and he says, uh, and, and, and you, Onesimus, he is your slave. Now, you treat him like a brother in Christ. Isn't that interesting? He says, why? Because both of you have the same master. And guess what? Your master and his master has no exception of persons. Isn't that marvelous? In other words... Uh, his God and your God's the same God, and he feels the same way about both of you, so don't even think of not considering him as a brother in Christ. Folks, the second, and I want to do it this way, the second of the teachings is about the rich man and the beggar. I want to go to the very end. I want to go to that moment in Sheol. I want to go to that moment in the heart of the earth where the rich man looks up and sees the beggar, whose name is Lazarus, in the bosom of Abraham, asked to be consoled, asked to be uh, comforted. He's not given permission because there is a separation, there is an abyss, one cannot pass from one plot to the other, fine. And then with clear thinking, the rich man says, Send the message to my brothers. Abraham says, they have the prophets and they have the law. The rich man answers back, I had it too. So do me a favor, send Lazarus. 
because they know he died. And should he come back to preach them, then they'll believe. And then comes the greatest words that you've ever heard in your life. Even if someone should come back from the dead, they still would not believe. And the one that's speaking is God. So anybody here that has ever believed in spiritism, in a seance table, in the calling on of spirits, which is all a di diabolical movement, because the scripture says that the spirits are subject to God, and he doesn't let them go. So whatever you see or whatever you hear, and you do see and you do hear, and chairs do tremble and tables do rock, it's all satanic, nothing but satanic, so that you know that. So you say, well, well I was in one of those meetings, and I, I was there when the table, did they have some electric volts under the legs of the table? Uh, the, 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 the chairs, the, the earth seems like it was, a, no, no, that's just the devil. He can make anything quake. And he does. Okay? So what, 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 what is the outcome of all of this? The outcome of all of this is, number one, in the first parable, we will all have to give account. Early or late, we'll have to give account. God's got his books in heaven. He knows everything you're doing. He knows how you're doing it. He knows why you're doing it. Okay? But one of these days, we're going to give account. When I think of that, I say to myself, Lord, help me. Please help me. As steward and as shepherd of this flock, help me. I will give account for each and every one of you. Each and every one. Everyone that passes my way. I've got to do a good job. I've got to do the best job I can do. I've got to be open to the Spirit of God. I've got to be in tune with God because I don't know what's happening. I do not always know how, you, how painful your pain is. I do not know uh, through what trials you are going through. But when I get in touch with the Holy Spirit and he lays the burden on my heart and I pray through, I ask God in that way to keep my life in touch with your life and with your needs. And when you come to me, I try my very best. But I share with you this day that you all have the same responsibility, whether it be with coworkers, whether it be with family, whether it be with children, whether it be with your talents or whether it be with your abilities or whether it be with your money. We all have got to give account to God with every opportunity that he gives us. Uh, you know, you say, that's very frightening, and I don't like to be frightened. Uh, it's not frightening, folks. Uh, it's the truth of a God that cares. Uh, aren't you glad he sent his son? Aren't you glad Calvary's a reality? Aren't you glad that the blood flows? Uh, aren't you glad that he made a way? Uh, aren't you glad that he's opened a new door for us? Uh, aren't you glad that he says that he loves us? Uh, of course you're glad. I know you're glad. Well, it's the same thing. In order to enjoy all of that and to be a part of all of that, he simply says to us, walk straight. Sometimes he pushes us. We give him permission to. And he sets upon our lives trials so that we might be good stewards. Isn't it funny? There are so many things you don't do until God pushes you. Isn't it the truth? Have you, ever, have you ever been pushed into a corner where you realize, hey, wait a minute, I, I, I've, got, I, I've got to get straight. I've got, I've got to do things right, okay? You realize that. Now, the misuse of trials is what often gets us into so much trouble. We are being tried, and always remember this, you're never tried because God has nothing else to do. 
Remember this, you never tried because God has just got a big ego. Remember this, you never tried because God has... No, we are tried because of our own wickedness. Read it in the book of James. Why are we tempted? Why are we tried? Why do we have the problems we have? It just has to do with our sinful nature. And in order for God to put that into control, in order for God to get a hold of that, there are many things that come upon us. Now the sad part about being tested or tried is that the first thing we do with a trial is we come to the great conclusion that God doesn't love us. That somewhere along the line, he abandoned us. God took a vacation. He's in Cancun. Yeah, he's, he's not around. He's not around. Isn't it the truth? Soon as the walls start to cave in and soon as things start to get tough, God, where are you? When we're through judging God, or better said, doubting God, when we're through with that, then we put God aside and say, now wait a minute. We start on the great PP. Pity party. Poor me. And the pity party is so sad because we're not satisfied with pitying ourselves. We go around looking for help so somebody else can pity us too. Have you ever sat down to tell somebody your problems and your troubles? And when you're through, you're so sorry. Because like they didn't feel it, like they don't even know what you're going through. Like you're embarrassed you have opened your mouth. Like you said, oh, good night, what did I get into? Yeah, and then they bring out a whole, uh, uh, then they bring out a solution that has nothing to do with your problem. I mean, they're somewhere out in left field. And you say, oh, whoa, 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 help me, Lord. Pity parties are very, very dangerous. Because pity parties have only to do with our emotions. Pity parties just want one thing, strokes. And when you get into those first years of psychology, oh, those circles stroke one another. <laughs> I really mean it. It, it. it is so sad because... I know what a stroke is. For somebody to come up and say, hey, God bless you, I love you, that's a good stroke. But to simply wait there and, and expect somebody to cuddle you when you're not doing anything for yourself, when you're not moving, when you're not pushing, where there's nothing in you that strives to, to say, hey, wait a minute, this has a reason, this has a purpose, let me get a hold of it. I've had to think and rethink so many things uh, in the last two years that I'm tired of thinking. But I found a beautiful remedy against pity parties. And it's the echo somewhere back here. I know it should, should be in here, but it's somewhere back here. Way up here. thought that whatever trial I'm going through and whatever has happened is simply because the good Lord has willed it so that my life might be everything he would have it to be. So if that's the way it is, you've got to be very embarrassed at your pity party. Oh, but they don't love me like they used to love me. So what? Who cares? Fix your emotions on the one that never fails. Fix your hold and your grab on the one that will never let you go. Fix 
fix your strength on the one that said, I'm there for you. You say, but Sister Amy, sometimes I don't feel him. Sometimes I don't see him. Sometimes I don't hear him. That's okay. He's still there. He's still there. That's where you grit your teeth and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There are people that think victory is a, ah, ah, I, I got it. It came through. It's, it's mine. It's a, that's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I enjoy every victory. But you know, every now and then, in the middle of the storm, you've got to take a big, tall stand. You've got to put your clothes down. You've got to fix your glasses. You've got to push your hair back. You've got to stand up tall. It's in the middle of the storm. It's raining from above and from below. And you've got to say, he knows the way. He'll see me through. I'm not a mistake on God's calendar. I'm not an etc. in his writings. I am not just something out of nowhere. I'm his child. He loves me very much. And he would not let anything that would totally destroy me come by my path. You see, that's why we've got to be good stewards. Because if we're not, we will get caught in the mangle of life. We will get caught in the twistings of so many things. And what we have to say is, Lord, number one, I want to give good accounts of my life, of my emotions, of my everything. That's the beginning of stewardship. Number two, I know that when this is all over, and it can be in the blinking of an eye, Armenia, 70,000 gone. Flight 103, 128 gone. 17 on the ground. Little boy on a bicycle, gone. Two old ladies on a rainy day under an umbrella, thinking their light is green, walk into a semi. A good neighbor of mine, 5.30 in the morning, going to his work at 911. He's got the light, it's mine. It says walk. The light is red. He can't hit me. And as he's walking, yes, he is going to hit me. And in 28 minutes, he's dead. No, I want to be a good steward. I don't know how long this will last. And even if it lasted till I was 99 and no car hit me and I was in no earth rubble shake and I wasn't hit by a car and I didn't starve to death. I hit 99. I'm called home. What did you do with this? 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 You say, no, but when you get up there, it's all happy time. God puts it all into a big pot and he forgets it all. Yahoo! Free for all. No. That's our crazy way of thinking. What we always forget is God is a God of justice. We never understand his justice. In other words, God can't be unjust. And to let us get away with everything and anything is a very unjust thing and God can't do it. That he can forgive, yes he can forgive. 
that we suffer the consequences? Yes, we do. But even in consequences, he says, Your, my grace will be sufficient. So don't even fear consequences. Because he'll be with you. The most important thing is to simply say, I give you my life. I would be that perfect steward. With your children, with your life first. With your relationship to God, with your children. With everything you've got. Say amen. Lord Jesus, we choose. And all we do choose. To be everything you would have us to be. We choose to love you this day. And we choose to know, Lord, that walking with you does have a great responsibility. It won't just be over someday. We've got to make every moment count for eternity. Oh, Lord, I love you this day. I love you because you're calling us. into accountability is for our own good. It's to give us that life that's full of joy, a joy unspeakable and full of glory.